We all want to pray big, bold, life-altering, world-changing prayers. But we have a history, right? You have a history with those prayers. Like if there was a time that you offered up a big prayer, a big prayer, a time when you prayed for that job or that you would get that house, do you remember that? Or you might have prayed at a sporting event, a big prayer. Have you ever done that? I'm, listen, I just want you to know I'm a Braves and a Falcons fan. Those prayers don't work. I, I can just tell you. It's just, it's just part of it. <clears throat> maybe you're a student and you prayed that you would pass that test. Or maybe you prayed that you would get into that school. Or maybe you prayed for a relationship to be reconciled. Or you prayed that that girl would like you or that guy would like you. Or maybe it was a real heartfelt prayer that you prayed that someone would get healed or dad would come home, or that wayward child would find their way back again. It was a long shot, the big prayer. It was a long shot, but you played the only card you knew to play, which was prayer for God to do something, for God to move. You got a story like that, and it led to big disappointment because it didn't happen and you're crushed. And those disappointments make us question everything that we thought we knew about prayer or want to believe about prayer. Am I doing it right? Do I even know how to pray? Am I, am I using the right words? Does God even care about me and love me? Is God even hearing me when I pray? And those disappointments and those experiences, they, they impact how we view our other opportunities to pray big. And some of you right now have a, a stirring in you for a big prayer. You have a stirring in you for a big prayer. But that, that season of disappointment, that prayer you prayed that didn't come true, it's coloring how you're thinking about that big prayer. And you're not even sure you can pray it, should pray it, ought to pray it. So this series... I hope that we will encourage you to pray big. I hope that we will challenge you to pray big. And I hope that we'll be able to teach you to pray big. But I wanna tell you something that what this series is not about. This series is not about you getting what you want. This series is not about you getting everything you pray for. And come on, come on, come on. You're not even really sure you want that. Because even though you've got some big disappointments, you've also got some prayers that you're really glad didn't come true. Don't you? Like, aren't you glad you didn't get that job with those people? Aren't you glad you didn't get that house because now you drive by and it sure looks like a money pit? Aren't you glad you didn't marry that girl? Aren't you glad you didn't marry that guy? The truth is that Garth Brooks was partially right. You know, sing it with me. Some of God's greatest gifts, come on, are unanswered prayers. We all know that we have some prayers that we're really glad that we weren't answered. But here's, here's the thing about big prayer. Despite our big disappointments in prayers that didn't happen that we really wish would have, 
But we've all got that story. And despite our gratitude for the things that didn't happen that now we can look back on and say, oh, thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer it, I still believe God wants us to pray big. And so today we're going to look at a story in 1 Kings 18. If you want to have your Bible open and you're ready, it's going to take us a minute to get there because this story is as much about the background as it is about the prayer. Because big answered prayers... They have a history, they have a story, they have a backdrop that are almost as important as the actual words that are prayed and the actual answer to the prayer. So this prayer that we're gonna look at today is from a great man of God named the prophet Elijah. They just called him Elijah, but we're gonna call him the prophet Elijah. And he was a great man of God and this is his prayer, this crazy miraculous prayer. But there's another key character in the story and that is King Ahab over Israel. Now, by this point in the history of God's people, they had split into two kingdoms. Under King David, who was kind of the, the main big king over Israel, they saw their highest time, and then his son Solomon came and after him, and, and he built the temple. But after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two factions, and the southern kingdom was known as Judah, and that's where Jerusalem was. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel, and that was the rest of it and the majority of the tribes of Israel. So now Judah had a king and Israel had a king. King Ahab was king over the northern kingdom Israel, and they were fighting each other, and they were always at each other, and they were against each other. It, the political climate was a mess, and aren't you glad 2,000 years later we've got politics all figured out? <clears throat> right? It was a mess though. And after Solomon, all the predecessors to Ahab who were the kings over the northern kingdom of Israel, if you read 1 Kings, you'll see this phrase over and over again. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, they just took Israel further and further away from God. But Ahab was something else. Because this is what 1 Kings 16.30 says about him at the beginning of his story. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Every king ahead of him, it said they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But Ahab, it says he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those that had come before him. In fact, the next verse says that he found their sins to be trivial. They were boring to him. He wanted some big sins. Like there were nothing to him. So he goes out and he marries a Sidonian pagan princess named Jezebel. Yes, that's where we get that term from. Who is a worshiper of the Phoenician and Babylonian god Baal. And he becomes so enthralled with Jezebel and so enthralled with her god that he begins to build shrines and altars and monuments all over Israel to Baal and turns the people to worship Baal instead of the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And so this, this move by Baal sets, sets the stage and it plants a seed for a prayer that it's going to take Elijah three years to pray. Three years. But this is the beginning. And because of this uh, corruption and because of this disobedience by Ahab as God's mouthpiece 
Elijah, by the power of God in him, prophesies to Ahab and goes before him and tells him that there will not be rain or dew in Israel until he says so. Not only just not rain, but not even dew in the morning. Now, this is what is known as a drought, which we don't know much about here in Seattle. I mean, Birmingham. Gosh, do you, do you remember that? Droughts like we have had two and a half times the, the amount of normal rainfall for January and February this year. Can you believe that, right? I mean, it's now I have bad news is that historically March is the rainiest month of the year in Birmingham and it's going to rain tomorrow. So that's my, that's my, I'm supposed to bring good news. That's the bad news. But if you can remember in those times and summer times when occasionally we have a drought, but this was a drought like you'd never be seen. Like even when it's like hasn't rained in two or three weeks in June or July and you go out and at least there's a little dew in the morning. There's not even any dew. And in an agrarian culture, this makes Elijah wildly unpopular. Their whole culture depends on their crops. Their livestock depend on their crops. Their, their food depends on their crop. Their commerce depends on their crops. This would be like a prophet today saying, there will be no Wi-Fi or LTE until I say so. <sighs> like, what would we do, right? No internet. We couldn't, we couldn't function. And this begins a season of loneliness, of pain, of hurt, and heartache for Elijah. But this season of drought is so important as the backdrop to this big ludicrous prayer that Elijah is going to pray. Because what God is going to ask him to do in this next season of oppression, of hurt, of even his own inward questioning of am I even doing the right thing? Did I make the right move? Have, have I just lost it? What God is going to ask him to do is obey. It's obey. Because here's the backdrop of Elijah's story. God might need you to obey big before you pray big. Like God might need you to go through a season of drought, a season of oppression, a season of loneliness, and just see if you will obey big before you'll pray big. He just wants to know, will you trust and obey? And I want to say that to you because some of you are in a season of drought and you're in a wilderness right now. And you, you know God's doing something in you and you feel like God's got a plan for you and maybe you feel a big prayer swelling up in you or you believe God's got a purpose for you. But what God might want most for you in this season is just to trust and obey. That's what he might need for you more than anything else. Before, this is what I think God would be saying to us in those seasons. It's like, hey, before you ask me for something, I just want to see if you'll do what I've asked you to do. Before you, before you come asking me to do something big, I just want to see if you'll just do the small things I've asked you to do. And some of you might feel like you're in a desert. Some of you might feel spiritually dry. Some of you might feel like you are surrounded by oppression like Elijah. Some of you might feel like you are surrounded by evil like Elijah. And I just want to, I just believe God might just want to be saying, would you just obey? And that's, <clears throat> that's so important because when we read Elijah's prayer, all right, ah, oh, it's awesome. 
And you're going to say, I wish, oh, I wish, oh, I wish I could have a moment like that. I wish I could have kind of one of those spiritual miraculous moments. Oh, I wish God would do that for me. I wish I could experience something like that. And here, you know what Elijah would say to every one of us in this room? Are you sure about that? You sh are you sure you want that? Because this conversation with Ahab makes Elijah the most hated and hunted man in all of Israel. After Elijah's prophecy about the drought, Jezebel sends Ahab's army on a killing spree to wipe out every prophet in Israel of the Lord God Almighty. And Elijah goes into hiding. God takes him to a brook to live by a brook in the wilderness so he'll have something to drink. And God sends ravens in the morning and in the evening to feed him bread and meat. Do y'all know birds are nasty, right? You know that, right? They're nasty. But, you know, that's what you do sometimes when you obey. And when the brook finally dries out, and I guess the ravens stop, guess where God sends him? to Sidon, where Jezebel's from, in the land of his enemy and in the home of Baal. And God tells him, I want you to go live with a widow there and wait this out. Can you imagine like knocking on that door like, hey, hi, I'm Elijah. Um, God sent me here because I think you have a, a spare room. And you don't have a sister named Jezebel, by the way, do you? Um, no, okay, good, good, good. We'll make fast friends then. And that might be our story. It might take three years. It might take wilderness. It might take a desert. It might take a drought. And what God might need to know from you right now is will you be faithful and obedient in the drought? And God might need to know will you be faithful and obedient in the wilderness? Will you be faithful and obedient when you are hurting? Will you be faithful and obedient when you are under oppression? Will you be faithful and obedient when you are in the land of the enemy? When you are be faithful and obedient when you're hurting and questioning every single day? will you just be obedient because God might need to know if he can trust you with an answered prayer if you're a parent you get this right I mean I got four boys and when they are disobedient and they're just mean as a rattlesnake to one another right? And they just, they don't behave and they haven't done anything we've asked them to do. And then they say, daddy, can we go to a movie? And I say, are you out of your ever living mind? No, I'm not even getting you a dollar fifty red box. No, I don't want to listen to you right now. But when they have been obedient and they have done everything we ask them to and the dirty clothes somehow make it the five feet that they couldn't make it the other day into the dirty clothes hamper and and when they're just nice to one another and they've emptied the dishwasher and they're just obedient and then they ask to do something. Now, we can't always do it, but I sure am listening. Isn't that true, parents? So if you are like that as a parent and we as mothers and fathers are made in the image of our heavenly father, if we listen better when our children are obedient, do you think God's ear is a little closer to earth when his children are obedient? Maybe God just wants to see if you will trust and obey in the drought. Three years later, 
are you okay if it takes three years for God to even prepare you for the prayer he wants you to pray? I mean, it's like, or do you need to like an answer by Thursday? Because it might take three years for God to even prepare you for the big prayer that he wants you to pray. Three years later, God tells Elijah, it's time to go to Ahab. It's time for the drought to be over. You know what's interesting is I thought about this. How many people over that three years in Israel do you think had prayed for the drought to end? Everybody, everybody, daily. How many times do you think Elijah had prayed for the drought to end? God, thank you for the brook and the ravens. I've named them, but I'm, I'm, I'm cool if this is done, right? Like, I'm cool if this is over. Like, could we just end the drought? But here's what, this is just so hit me in this, and, and what, to prepare us for what's about to come next. When we read the scripture of this prayer in 1 Kings 18, is that the big prayer that everyone in Israel had been praying for three years was secondary to God because he had a bigger prayer and a bigger heart issue in mind. So, Elijah goes to Ahab, and it's not about a storm cloud, and it's not about rain coming. It's about something totally different. This is what he says. This is what God is concerned about. Elijah said to them, Ahab and everybody there in his court, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. He probably said, because if I need to remind you, your wife killed everybody else. I'm the only one left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you can call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire he is God, because this is what God's worried about. It's not about a drought. He's worried about whether they understand who he is in and for them. And all the people said, what you say is good. They say they think this is a good idea. So Elijah lets them go first. So they build an altar, they get the wood, and they start shouting. They start shouting, Baal, answer us. Baal, answer us. It says they dance around the altar. They do dances. I would dance for you, but I want for your protection. They dance. They shout. It says from morning until noon. I, we don't know what time they started. Seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. But it's like three, four, five hours they shout. And then it says this, this is a great moment because Elijah speaks some holy smack talk. If you like smack talk, you'll like Elijah. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. He could have gone to the Piggly Wiggly. Give him a minute. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shout louder. They dance harder all the way to the evening. And it says midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. And this is like, whoa. But there was no response, 
No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, I think I know what their problem was. Um, they did not have enough positive thoughts and good vibes. <clears throat> so since we're teaching on prayer, let's talk about this. Christians, if you're a believer, can we stop? Can we stop with sin prayers, positive thoughts, and good vibes? Can we stop this? And I'm, listen, if you know me, I'm like a positive thinker. I love it. I'm a positive thinker, very positive person. I'm all about good vibes. But we do not pray positive thoughts and good vibes. We believe that prayer is cosmic and supernatural and not of this world. And we pray that the cosmic God of the universe who is supernatural, who has powers we do not understand, who is not of this world but is over all this world would move in our lives and move history. And if I'm ever sick or you got somebody that's sick or you're sick, who wants positive thoughts and good vibes? I want this God to move in my life. Not positive thoughts and good vibes. And listen, if you're not a believer and you're new here and, and you just came here today, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time you've been in church, can I just tell you this? That we believe that prayer is something bigger and better. It's not superstition crossing our fingers or rituals. We believe that this cosmic supernatural God who is not of this world but over this world wants a relationship with you, and he is not a no one who doesn't respond, but he is a someone who is listening, and you can pray to him no matter how much your thoughts are not positive and your vibes aren't good. Even when your vibes are bad and your thoughts are negative, he's a someone you can go to. So now it's Elijah's turn. And uh, he does the whole thing, gets the wood, just like them. But then he, he says something interesting. He said, I want you to pour a trench around it. I mean, uh, dig a trench around it. And the trench holds about four and a half gallons. But that's just the trench. I mean, you got the, the altar too. So he gets ready, but before he prays or does anything, it, it, it says something really interesting. He says, then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Okay, Elijah, what next? Oh, well next, are you gonna pray now? Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Can you imagine the guys that were helping him whispering, I don't think he understands how fire works.
Okay, okay, okay. Are you ready to pray now? Elijah says, no. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Does that look like it's about to catch fire? Why? Because sometimes God might need you to obey big before you pray big. God might want to set you up in an opportunity and a situation in life where, where he can do what only he can do. And sometimes when you're about to pray for fire, God tells you to add more water. It doesn't make sense. Some of you are like, well, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, Carter? Like some of you are single and you're just praying like, oh, I just want to meet the, I just want to meet the right person. I just want to meet the right, I just want to meet the right guy. I'm trying to meet the right girl. And here's what God's telling you, like delete the app, stop swiping, stop going to the club, stop trying to meet somebody, just wait. Just, I mean, how am I going to meet somebody? If it, just, what, just add more water. Just wait. Some of you are praying for like, I just wish my boss would listen to me. I just wish my spouse would listen to me. And they don't ever hear. And God's telling you like, why don't you listen to them? Why don't you shut up and listen to them? Well, how am I going to listen? But they're never going to hear me. I just, just listen to them. Just add some more water. Some of you are thinking about, I just want to break through and I'm trying to break through and I'm going to make it happen and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to, and God's telling you, hey, why don't instead of trying to break through, like you just be still. Why is anything, nothing's going to happen if I don't put my nose to the grindstone, if I don't put a little, why don't you just be still and add more water? Some of you are praying for Oh, I've got to make more money. I need to, Lord, help me get more money. I hope I get that promotion and I get that raise. I'm trying to save more money. And God's telling you, well, hey, i got an idea if you want more money. Like, how about you give more money? Well, how would I have more money? And how would I save more money? If I can't make more money, how in the world would I give more money? I don't know. Like, why don't you just add some water? Because what God might want to do is put you in an impossible situation so that he can do what only he can do and he might need you to obey big before you pray big. God might want you to add more water before he lights your fire. Just to prove a point that it's not about me and it's not about you you ready to i mean are you ready for that elijah was finally ready and i i, lo I love this and he stepped forward and prayed a prayer that took three years to make Lord, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Lord, I'm just trying to be obedient to you. I went to Ahab at your command for three years. I was in the wilderness fed by those stupid ravens at your command. I went and lived in the land of Jezebel, the land of Baal and Sidon at your command. And now I look like a complete idiot because I have poured three times water on this and I don't know how it works, God. And it doesn't make any sense. And I'm not sure how you're gonna pull this off, but I just did it all at your command. So all I can do is be obedient. So answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that, what do you think it's gonna say, what do you think it's gonna say? You think it's gonna say, so that these people will know that I'm such a good big prayer, or that I am a mighty prophet in Israel, or that they will know that they're a bunch of knuckleheads and it didn't have to be this way. No, he says, so that they will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now, I was gonna light it on fire, but apparently there's a code against that, so just so you know. <clears throat> and when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. If prayer points to you, you miss the point of prayer. Because this isn't about getting what we hoped would happen. This is about God accomplishing what only God can accomplish. And it tells us something and teaches us something about big prayers. And it's simply this, that the best big prayers point to the glory of a big God. And I think when we are like Elijah and we spend a season in obedience, even when it doesn't make sense with God, that our hearts get attuned and turned to God so that we are even able to know the prayer that he wants us to pray. A prayer that points to the glory of a big God that he would be revealed and that people's hearts would be turned back to him. And I want you to know the prayer, the prayer that says God Make yourself known in this place. Reveal by your Holy Spirit Jesus on the souls of people and turn their hearts back to him. That is a big prayer that God is always listening for. The biggest prayer that we could ever pray is that the God's glory would be revealed. And sometimes, sometimes, the most impossible situations set the stage for that kind of prayer. And I wish I could tell you that you would have some big prayer and like it'll get answered in two weeks and we'll probably do a video and a little testimony in here for everybody and it'll encourage everybody. That'd be really awesome. I hope that for you, but I just want you to know that you might be Elijah. You might have to go through a season of drought. You might have to go through a wilderness. You might have to go through a season of opposition. You might have to go through a season where you are sitting in the seat of the enemy. You might have to go through a season where you look like an absolute and complete fool because God says, hey, add some more water before I light your fire. 
And it might not make sense, and it might seem impossible, but the best big prayers point to the glory of a big God. And I want you to know something, this is hard to hear. The more impossible your situation looks, the more glory God gets. So if it doesn't look impossible yet, you might not be ready. I wanna invite you, challenge you to pray a big prayer. And I wanna invite you to pray a prayer that our staff and leaders have been praying. Our big prayer as staff and, and leaders has been this, for God to send 2020 people here on Easter 2020. Months ago, God put this on my heart. That's about a thousand more people than we have on Sundays. Twice as many, almost. But I think God wants to reveal his glory in a thousand more people in our city. I really believe that. And in just a minute, we're gonna close with a song and I wanna invite you to come forward and there's some prayers. And you can take some time up here, you can take it with you. And there's two sides of it. On one side, it says our big prayer. And here's what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll write 2020 and then underneath it, a name of someone that you're gonna invite to Easter Sunday. But here's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God's glory would be revealed in their lives, that God would open a door for you to invite them and give you the courage to invite them, but that most of all, that God's glory would be revealed in their lives, because here's what I know. I don't know that God wants them in this church this Easter, but I'm certain God wants them in a church this Easter, and I am certain that God has enough glory to fill every church in Birmingham this Easter and that he wants his glory to be revealed all across our city. So my prayer and our prayer together would be for this person on your list, but say, Lord, your glory in their lives. 2020 is our goal, but it's God's business what he does with it because it's all about his glory. On the other side, it says my big prayer, and I want you to write your big prayer. And man, listen, I want you to write a whopper but I want you to have the same heart. And I want you to pray, Lord, if your glory can be revealed in a bigger way, in a better way, than answering my prayer, I want your glory to be revealed first. And if it needs to get more impossible, I'm with you, Lord. And I want you to take this card, put it in your wallet, put it, in your, put it on your mirror, put it on your dashboard, in your purse. And I want you to pray for both sides of that card every day from today until Easter. And I think something's going to happen in us. This song we're going to close with has an incredible line that really relates to prayer. It says, when you do what only you can do, it changes what we see and what we seek. And so I want that to be our prayer. Lord, would you do what only you can do in our lives, but change what we see. Change what we seek. And even change, God, what we want. Heavenly Father, we're going to bring you some big prayers. And we've got a big dream for our church this Easter. We're not sure how to pull it off. Only you can do it. But Lord, when you do what only you can do, would you change what we see? And would you change what we seek? In Christ's name.
Amen.